All right, in today's episode of the Weekly Hustle, we're going to be talking about three things. We're going to be talking about $45,000 Japanese fruit, the best $10 I spent this week, and also the secret of how Ty Lopez handles his haters. Don't miss this video. Hey guys, welcome to episode three of the Weekly Hustle. Um, this week, I went completely overboard. So let me explain. Recently, I've been reading a lot of these copywriting books. I've been reading the Boron Letters, really integrating the ADA formula into everything I do. So this episode might be a little longer. So after reading all these books, things like the Boron Letters, Breakthrough Advertising, and all the classics, I actually got carried away and I wrote three full articles this week in the Weekly Hustle. Whoops, I'll probably post them on my website, refugeehustle.com. Anyways, that is good news for you because if you take the next 15 minutes to read them, it'll help you live a more productive, happier, and richer life as well. So make sure to watch this video. So if you're new to the Weekly Hustle, I'm really here just to do a few things. One, um, I'm here to share cool people, processes, tools, and ideas for entrepreneurial hustlers who want to be great and focus on the long-term game of mastery. Speaking about mastery, I want to document the process of the long-term game of how to hit $10 million because Corin Grant Cardone, 10 million is the sweet number where you can generate, well, you'll have 100K per year for the next 100 years. So chances are that will set you up for generational wealth. So it, like I said, if you're new to Weekly Hustle, typically I talk about five things. This week, I'm going to be talking about the best $10 I spent this week, something that I'm enjoying learning about, what person I'm following this week, what I'm thinking, and what my guilty pleasure is this week. I think you'll really enjoy all these topics because if you guys don't know, I'm kind of a bit here and there. I have multiple interests and that's why my friends call me Asian Joe Rogan. I just have a lot of interests and I want to share some of my interests with you guys. And I know that you guys will find each one of these really interesting as well. So keep on watching. Also, every single week I try to answer a few questions. So if you have questions that you want me to answer on this weekly hustle, make sure to subscribe to my uh, website, refugeehustle.com slash join, and then um, subscribe to my newsletter. And then you can reply back to me and we can have a dialogue. All right, let's dive into first topic. The best $10 I spent this week. Think about the last $10 that you spent. What did you spend it on? Was it a Grubhub while you're in quarantine? Was it your Netflix subscription to the newest season of Kingdom? By the way, that series is fire. You definitely got to check it out on Netflix. Well, I honestly love spending on food and entertainment. Chances are the last 10 bucks, it probably wasn't all that productive for you. It probably didn't help you get more done, didn't make you any more money or help you organize your ideas. Whether you're a student uh, preparing for an exam, maybe a pharmacy student like I was five years ago, or even more actually, or if you're an entrepreneur trying to create a new product service or offering, you're leaving money on the table by not having this one investment in your back pocket. Actually, you can't stick in your back pocket. I'll get into that in a second. So today I'm actually sharing the best 10 bucks that you can make in 2020 while in quarantine. So you're asking, what is this killer $10 investment? It's this big ass whiteboard over here. And you might be wondering, how's a $10 whiteboard gonna help me make more money? Well, hear me out. I was talking to one of my good friends um, who used to work at EY as a consultant. And he was telling me that in every single meeting room, they every single one, 
they actually have a big ass whiteboard now it's really nice there are glass whiteboards and stuff essentially they have them all in each room and i was like why why would a corporate company spent hundreds of thousands installing these whiteboards in every single me meeting room well it was really interesting the reason why let me explain so do you ever have those mornings when you feel like you have a lot to do but you have trouble tricking keeping track of what you need to do by doing a brain dump every single morning uh of the, everything that you need to do it stops something called the whirlwind effect you know what the whirlwind effect is where you're constantly reacting everything is scrambled you're scrambling 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 by stopping that whirlwind effect you can actually take a look at all the tasks that you need to be done and just prioritize based off important importance basically you can strategize this in a more efficient way of getting things done it's it's one thing to just write things that you need to do but the thing is Whiteboards actually give you the clarity to turn your ideas into actions. After all, how can you get more done if you don't know what needs to be done in what particular order as well, right? Which leads me to the most important part with the part that you've probably been wanting to watch since the beginning is making more money. Now, this is important because here's the thing. I love writing down my ideas. If you can't tell, I actually wrote some ideas for my IDA, like for the IDA formula and copywriting on the board as well but i love organizing my ideas especially if i'm doing a new product a new service offering or just try and brainstorm ways to make the customer journey better for my clients right and let's say if you guys don't have a product service or offer no worries a whiteboard can actually help you brainstorm existing problems in the market and strategize potential solutions which you can create and sell aka profitable brainstorming as well but you want to know the best part about whiteboards because here's the here's the truth you can literally scribble it on a piece of paper all your ideas and guess what it gets lost you can't lose a freaking whiteboard it's not like i said you can't stick in your back pocket um they're in your face constantly so the truth is yes you could use a piece of paper and journal everything down but 99 percent of the time it'll get lost and disappear into oblivion i don't know about you but it's really hard to lose a whiteboard so and the, the more important thing is that there's that real great tactile feeling of writing things down, hearing that squeaking noise as you're <laughs> writing that thing, uh, writing your ideas down, which is so satisfying. And then being able to take a step back and look at everything from a, a, from a bigger point of view. I don't know. There's nothing you can't do that with a piece of paper. And it's just so satisfying, satisfying. By the way, fun fact, one thing that I love doing um, as well after I jot down my ideas is actually taking something like a smartphone and then taking a picture of the ideas and just storing it somewhere so it doesn't get lost so I can reuse it over and over and over again. So th those are some cool tricks. But there is one major problem with whiteboards is that I'm not sure if you've taken a look at your Home Depot or even on Amazon, but even boards can go up to 300, 400, even a thousand dollars sometimes. So they're pretty expensive. Well, not until now, not until I share this tip with you. And if you want to learn how to create your whiteboard for just 10 bucks, keep watching this video. Well, guess what? I kind of lied. It's more like 17 to 20 bucks because we'll need a few extras, taxes. But anyways, it beats spending so much money versus a traditional uh, glass one. So this is how we do it. There's a few steps. So you're going to go to your Home Depot lumber section. Um, you could probably find this at Lowe's, but I didn't look over there. And you want to pick up this marker board. I'll leave the link in the description below or uh, in my show notes, which I'll leave a link for. 
Second thing that you need to do is purchase the command strips. Now, I always recommend get the heavy duty ones that support the 16 pound ones. I also left the link for that as well. And then it's simple. Just find an area of your house that you want to do and just use the command strips to put, put on the back of the board and it stays really, really well. It actually works really well. If I really wanted to, I could actually make this whole wall a marker board if I really wanted to, but probably not going to do that. I think this is good enough for me, but you can customize it and all that as well. So, uh, also, you know, I hung mine like vertical or horizontally. You can do it vertically and whatnot as well. So it's really customizable. And I, I know that you won't be disappointed. It's the best 10 bucks that I've spent this last week, to be honest. And that has made me excited. Trust me. I buy a lot of camera equipment. I'm like a gear, like a electronics junkie and stuff like that. So, you know, this really made my week. Make sure I pick it pick everything up. You won't be disappointed with this $10 investment for your home office. So what are you waiting for? Go pick that stuff up. Link is in below and support your boy with those four buck, $4 affiliate links or whatever. I would love to kind of hear from you guys. What is the best $10 investment that you spent this week? Is it a whiteboard? Is it something else? Let me know in the comments. Let's start this discussion. Who knows? I might even review some of your products as well. Second thing I'm going to be talking about today is something that is near and dear for my heart. Have you ever been on YouTube and checked out these expensive Japanese fruit videos? I do it all the time. And I'm like, man, I wonder what those taste like. But the other day, of course, uh, my marketing brain is always like, dude, how can someone pay so much money for fruits like these? In fact, last year, someone in Japan paid 45 thousand usd us dollars for a pair of cantaloupes can you believe that yes you heard right forty five thousand dollars for a pair of cantaloupes so i i don't know when i was watching this this video about someone paying that much i started thinking like dude why would anyone want to pay that much for a pair of melons and so i actually spent last week just searching for that exact answer and I finally found it. So if you want to know the secret behind charging 10,000 times more for the same type of fruit that you can find at a local supermarket, then read on or watch this video. So, so there was the three things that really kind of stood out to me and they build on top of each other. So, and the third, third reason is the most impactful as well. So let's kind of dive into it. So first things first, there's already an existing market demand in Japan. So imagine this, if you tried selling five figure fruit in Japan, how do you think that would turn out? Would it sell? Most likely not. It probably would not sell whatsoever. And as mentioned in this classic copywriting book, Breakthrough Advertising, uh, it's one of my favorite, favorite books on copywriting positioning out there. You can't create desire for a product, right? Uh, but what you can do is really focus on the existing desires of the market and bridge the gap onto a particular product, right? So you can't just create desire out thin air. You can't, there's no magic pill of making you desire something that you don't really care about. Like if I, if I found a piece of dog turd out there, would you really want that? Probably not. There's no desire for that. Uh, just to give you an idea of the Japanese market in Japan, Premium fruits are typically sent out as gifts. So it's not uncommon to spend $100 to $1,000 just for a present, right? For especially formal occasions like um, weddings, business transactions, 
hospital visits, those type of things as well. While this explains the high demand for uh, high-end premium fruits in the in the Japanese market, it still doesn't explain why people will pay five figures for fruit, which leads me to my second point over here. There are four grades of quality when it comes in when it comes in terms of high-end fruit in Japan. So if there were two pieces of fruit in front of you, right? Um, could you tell the difference between the two? And if so, how would you go about telling the difference? Something that sometimes we forget is that we have to keep in mind this is a natural product. This is a product of nature. And Mother Nature doesn't tell us that there are four grades. It's human made. Somebody, you gotta realize, a human like you and me, they created these four tiers of fruits in Japan. So if you want a breakdown of the four fruits of Japan, there's here, here they are from lowest to highest. So we have Yuki, which is automatically thrown if there's any minor defects with the fruit. We got Shiro, which is 55% of the fruit. Yama, which is 25% of fruit. And Fuji, which is 0.1% of fruit, meaning one in every 1,000, I think that's right, will be a Fuji grade of fruit, which is crazy. And so if you're wondering what the difference between Shiro, Yama, and Fuji, um, honestly, I could only find like a high level and it really depends on the physical appearance of the fruit and also the sugar content of the fruit as well. You might be asking yourself, why would anybody classify these grades? Well, by classifying these fruits in particular grades and having percentages nearby it, it builds this er or this uh, concept of scarcity. And think about it, right? Imagine if you got your hands on a Fuji fruit, wouldn't that feel like winning a lottery? Now, I, I probably argue that most people would probably be a lot happier winning a lottery, but you kind of understand the point, right? And so that's one way to add scarcity, but that's not all. Imagine if you can stack with other factors to increase the scarcity or exclusivity of this one fruit. For example, have you ever heard of a white strawberry before? I haven't until I started watching, like binge watching all these Japanese fruit videos on YouTube, right? There is a Japanese fruit called the white jewel strawberry. And apparently only 10% stay white jewels after exposure to the sun. So what they do with these fruit is actually grow it in a dark area. And then uh, they expose it for a little bit of time. And, and only 10% will stay that white, beautiful color. How did the Japanese come up with that? No freaking clue. But... My point is, imagine a Fuji grade type of white jewel. I don't know if those exist, by the way, but think about it. Think about how rare that would be and how much people would pay for it in an existing market where gift giving is already done a lot. But let's kind of take a step back again and ask ourselves, so what? We have a rare piece of fruit. Does this, ju does this really justify the 45K price tag? And this leads me to the last piece of the puzzle, which is the secret to the main secret of charging that 10,000 X price of the normal strawberry. This is the last point. High end fruits require a high level of intimacy. Okay. So let's take two pieces of fruits, right? Just like we did last time, right there. Uh, and you need to pick one for a wedding or a business gift that is multi-million dollar type of thing as well, right? So we got melon one over here. It's mass produced, sprayed with pesticides. When it's time to harvest, they're tossed in your cardboard box, thrown on a, uh, on a truck at the Asian supermarket. You not only need to check for bruises, but you also need to fight old Asian grandma grandmas for the non-bruised fruits. Think about it like this. This is like most 
fruit in the US, by the way. So, well, let's categorize this as melon one. Melon two, okay. So these melons are grown in a, a controlled environment where they're grown on, not in the ground, but they're grown on raised beds. Why? So the farmers, the individual farmers can actually water these plants and control the exact amount of water each plant gets. Now, after being watered, these farmers, they'll put on, they'll, they'll put on these gloves, these white gloves, and they will massage these melons daily with their white gloves. In fact, they actually go through a lot of pairs of white gloves just massaging these, uh, these melons. And after this massage treatment, these melons are also wrapped in white paper to protect the melon from the sun and sun damage. And so when they're ready for harvest, they're not just thrown in a cardboard box. They're taken, they're put in an individual presentation box, probably on a pillow of something like silk or something, and presented to its buyer. Which one would you buy for that one-time special event? And more importantly, why? See, the truth is, the unique selling proposition of a $45,000 melon isn't the physical characteristics of the sugar content. Actually, no one probably, no one cares about that. What sells the $45,000 melon is the story and process of how this product is created and the level of intimacy required to produce that product. It's really, really important. Think about the most expensive, I mean, other than melons, think about things like cars, the exclusivity of cars. So imagine if you gifted these melons to someone that you really cared about, how would it make them, how would, how do you think it would make them feel receiving such a, a gift of high intimacy? And think about yourself, the one receiving that gift. How would it make you feel receiving a fucked up fruit thrown in a cardboard box versus a silk bed that has a really unique characteristic about it? You know, it's been high, those high intimacy with the melon versus, you know, the presentation of a melon being placed in an individual box in a on a silk bed which one would you choose now now this is the real product behind marketing it's it's not only just selling something for ten thousand x its price is really giving meaning to the products for the customers receiving them and this is true whether you're talking about expensive melons uh you're talking about expensive pens or even at the port if you're buying a porsche if you ever get a chance to go to a porsche experience center take a look at it it's a great lesson on marketing because there is a high intimacy for every single luxury product. And if you sell a luxury product, ask yourself, do you have that level of storytelling of that high intimacy as well? So if you guys are interested in marketing and positioning, some resources I would check out. The first, the first resource I would check out is getting everything you can out of all you got by Jay Abraham. He's one of the masters at positioning and marketing and also i would check out breakthrough advertising by eugene schwartz this book is very rare very hard to find actually it seriously it went out of print and um eugene schwartz is no longer with us anymore so that is a really great book but very dense not for beginners whatsoever and if you want a nice freebie type of content check out the boron letters by gary halbert those are really interesting i might review those next week but it's really a school of hard knocks and copywriting. So if you like someone who these were, these letters were written in prison to his son and talks about life and business and marketing. So definitely check that out. And finally, 
if you want to dip your toes into marketing, you want a solid foundation because books are great, but honestly, it's hard to learn the modern day principles of marketing. Check out my friend, uh, Rich and Niche. He has his full stack marketing Academy. Uh, link will be in the description as well, but that is the power of marketing. So if you want to make, learn how to make more money or learn how to sell something at a higher level, then you better brush up on your copywriting and marketing. All right, the third, the third thing that I'm going to be talking about is my guilty pleasure this week. Have you ever spent the whole weekend watching the most random thing? You took a step back and you're like, why am I watching this, right? <laughs> Don't lie, it happens to everyone, right? Well, I'm going to share this exact moment that happened to me when I took my day off because ever since probably like two or three weeks ago, I made a rule for me not to, um, not to do any work on the weekends, right? Okay, you ready? Breathe. This is really embarrassing, but I literally spent the whole freaking weekend watching koala wrestling. Maybe it's because I haven't done jujitsu in over a month, or maybe it's watching all these furry marsupials get after, as Jocko Willink would say. But, you know, it's pretty interesting seeing jujitsu not only being practiced by humans, but it's great seeing jujitsu being practiced by the animal kingdom, too. Um, I also saw this uh, video breakdown, Gracie breakdown by uh, the Gracies, obviously, about narrating these things. So maybe in, um, so maybe I'll I'll do a narration of uh, koala wrestling and whatnot, or koala jujitsu, on a separate video. So one person that I've been recently following is someone that I probably normally wouldn't follow. For example, when I say Ty Lopez, what comes to mind? Some people might say, hey, he's a scammer, right? Other people might think, here in my garage, right? Like on his on the phone. And you might think of that ad. While a majority, while most of the people on Reddit or YouTube might say knowledge, right? With a bookcase behind their back, right? Believe it or not, I actually don't follow Ty Lopez. I don't buy his products. I don't watch his content. So why am I following him? Well, one of, one of the things I recently realized about Ty Lopez was that he is a master about how he responds to his haters, his trolls, his critics. Now, if you've ever done with, dealt with um, haters or trolls, there's not a lot of great advice on the internet. I know because I'm going through it at the moment, and I'm actually asking a lot of my friends about it. The haters and trolls started coming about probably a year ago when I had a few videos blow up regarding uh, men going on their own way, incels, and when that being single at 30 video really blew up. Ever since then, um, every few weeks I have maybe, I'm not sure if it's an individual or group of haters, they flood my live stream, they mass dislike my videos, they even harass my personal Instagram and uh, my personal email as well, which is kind of messed up, but you, it doesn't leave me with that many options because one, can't really go to YouTube because even when you bring it up to YouTube, they don't really do anything, right? Um, and when I talk to my friends, they tell me, hey, just block these people. But how do you respond when blocking doesn't work because they just create another account? Do you take legal action? Do you sue their ass, right? Which I don't think is always the best option. Or do you look within, take some ayahuasca, kill your ego and just learn to live with it? What do you do? And so, like I said, Conventional wisdom will tell you, hey, ignore the haters. But honestly, this advice sucks because it doesn't solve the root problem. And what the, I believe the root problem is holding people accountable for what they're saying. Like, it doesn't hold the anonymous accountable. 
it was really interesting to see Ty Lopez respond to this hater, right? Um, because instead of following the conventional wisdom, which conventional wisdom sucks of just ignoring the hater sometimes, um, he jumped on a live stream with his critic, you know, and um, I think the critic's name was John Henry. Uh, and I noticed three really interesting things about the live stream. One, the conversation is documented in an unedited raw stream type of format. So um, I think that is important because so many times it's easy when you're doing a critique video, it's so easy to take things out of context and, and edit things to make your point. But in a raw format, you understand the whole situation. You understand where they're coming from. You understand the intent because you could easily say something like, oh, I killed someone. And you, you could automatically assume that's really bad. But if you edit the part where I had to, I killed someone while I was in war and they were trying to kill me, well, is that justified? Does that give you context? And so that's why I believe that taking things, uh, having things in a raw edited format is really important. Second thing I noticed about, um, about Ty Lopez, instead of attacking his hater, being like, why are you doing this? Blah, blah, blah. Ty Lopez, he really slows the pacing down. And instead of criticizing his attacker, takes to understand to under, he takes a time to understand his critic's point of view by remaining curious and asking questions. Like, you know, he asks, he asks him some pretty foundational questions like, hey, John, listen, you know, we've been talking about, and I'm paraphrasing, listen, uh, John, we've been talking for about an hour. How come you haven't asked me any specific questions about how I run my business, how I make my decisions? I thought that was very profound because he was like, you know what? Whenever I'm in a room where uh, someone is running their own business or more successful than me, I'm always asking those questions to them. Right. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And what I noticed and the third thing is what I noticed about John Henry. And I don't know the guy. I don't really watch his content but his speech patterns were super fast paced, right? Uh, and you could tell right off the bat, his intent was to expose Ty Lopez for his lack of knowledge of real estate and uh, startups. And rather than argue, like if I were to critique Ty Lopez, I would probably go in with a more curious mind of, hey, how do you run your business? And argue specific points regarding his business experience instead of wasting time on trivia questions, which honestly, Throwing trivia questions doesn't matter, right? If I mean, maybe if you're in school, but honestly, it's such, it's not a good, it's not knowing a certain formula or knowing certain things is not a good basis of somebody's expertise. Now, here's the one interesting thing I, I realized as well, even with my friend, uh, he actually recently started his shoe brand, right? He doesn't know, he wasn't grown up doing shoes, but he can coordinate all the right people. He can build a dream team to make the dream happen. So even though you could you could have a course on, on something like real estate as well, if you get the right people who can teach those aspects, which you're missing, that's great. You know, that is how the highest level of entrepreneur, that's how, I mean, I guarantee you Steve Jobs didn't know everything about the iPhone or any of that. He leverages people's experience and people's knowledge as well to make the dream happen. So my final thoughts in a world where, you know, conventional wisdom will tell you to ignore haters. Um, I think this is a really rare piece of content that, you know, is a much wa must watch for anyone who is going through haters and try to understand the 
the perspective of internet critics, trolls, whatever you want to call them, essentially, right? And do you, should you should you jump on the phone or jump on a video chat with every single hater? No, I'm not saying that. But after this, after watching this long debate with Ty and his critic, I had this lingering question in my head, and I was just like, why are you wasting time with a critic? And Ty had a really great response to this in one of his other videos where he said, it's important to respond to haters sometimes. In this world, people get mixed up with ideas and it's important to clarify things. So with that being said, you should definitely check out this video. I'll put it in one of the cards over here and you guys can check that out. All right. So this is what I've been really thinking about this week. You know, the truth is there's a lot of people who want to start their own business. They want to start their own side hustle. They want to start their own remote work. And let me ask you this. Have you guys ever thought about doing uh, doing those things? And chances are you're not alone because according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, self-employment is expected to grow from 9.6 million in 2018 to 10.3 million in 2026 so there's there's almost a 8% growth when it comes in terms of uh, people being more self-employed and starting their own things so you want more scientific data I got you there's a rising trend of Instagram posts from entrepreneurs who paint the dream life through corny ass generic motivational quotes their pictures from working from the beaches of Bali right and thirst traps on Instagram where they're showing ton of cleavage and it's just some generic quote at the bottom nothing wrong with that by the way but is this what an entrepreneur is really like is this the life of the boss life right and so the truth is what no one does tell you because probably would not get a lot of views is what no one tells you is that no one tells you is that it requires more discipline running your own business than working a typical nine to five. Here's some examples of what I mean by this, right? When you are an independent contractor or you have your own line of work, no one is watching over your shoulder about uh, getting your work done, right? Like no one is holding you accountable. You're expected to hold yourself accountable. Second thing, you're also expected to withhold your own taxes. If you don't, if you're not very tax if you're not very tax savvy, you can get thrown in jail for that. Third thing, the concept of stability, unless you're on a, some sort of retainer, you have to get rid of the mindset of a stable paycheck. That will perhaps come in time after you grow your business a lot more. But dude, when you are an independent co contractor, you can't rely on a stable check. It's kind of like a eat what you kill type of thing. And there's a the trade-off, right? Especially if you're going into... Um, some sort of independent contracting work, right? Um, you get the flexibility of doing what you want, but at the same time, you're giving a lot more responsibility of what you need to do. And so there is no stable paycheck. Your work is entirely based off yourself, your performance, your fulfillment, and your impact to your clients, customers, or their businesses, right? Um, so starting what I've realized, and I've talked about it with my friends behind closed doors, is that starting a business actually requires more responsibility, not less. And I hope people kind of realize that with the responsibility comes the flexibility. So if you're already struggling to make the meetings on time, staying organized, struggle uh, with solution-based th thinking, you might want to reconsider starting a business or going down the hustle, hustle uh, life. Because the truth is, 
chances are you probably don't want to start a business. Starting a business isn't something that you want. It's really finding work that can sustain your ideal lifestyle and things that you can care that you actually care about. So chances are if you don't like your current job and you're just like, man, Kevin, honestly, I hate driving into work in traffic. I don't like talking to people. Um, I also want to work wherever I want, um, like location wise and have that location independence. Well, some, it doesn't mean, hey, start a business. Sometimes we jump the gun way too quick. It might be, hey, maybe can I, is there a possibility that I can go remote at my current job? Is there a possibility that I can go, go remote at another job? Can I find some sort of remote work? And I think a lot of time what we want, what we really want isn't necessarily starting our own thing because it's all, it's like raising a kid. But really at the end of the day, it's more of um, finding a business or finding a uh, stream of income that can support your ideal lifestyle. By the way, if you guys want to check out the show notes, I actually left this uh, conversation that me and my friends had behind closed doors. So make sure to check that out. Uh, I'll leave the link below in the, for the show notes. Well, guys, that is the weekly hustle. I hope you enjoyed this week. Um, I have a few questions from uh, the week prior that I will probably throw on the next episode of the weekly hustle. So if you guys have questions for me, make sure to join my email list, refugeehustle.com slash join. I will also put the show notes for this episode as well. So you guys can read it and uh, access all the links that uh, I mentioned in this video as well. Support your boy. Um, and I can't wait to see you guys next time on the weekly hustle. Peace out, mother people.